0: the podcast Interior Integration for Catholics. Interior Integration for Catholics brings to you in each episode the best psychological information essential for your human formation, knowledge that is fundamental in shoring up the natural foundation for your Catholic spiritual life. In this podcast, we confront the tough questions we Catholics have in our day-to-day lives. We confront head-on the struggles that we have in the natural realm, the psychological difficulties that keep us and those we love fully loving our Lord and our Lady in a deep, personal, intimate way. And we deal with these difficult, demanding issues for one primary reason to free us to love God our Father, Jesus our brother, the Holy Spirit, and our Mother Mary more and more over time. This podcast helps you focus inward on your interior integration to help you bring together the different parts of yourself into unity and harmony with God. Together, we are on a journey toward deep transformation in our mindsets, our heartsets, our body sets, a radical transformation at the core of our being so that our souls can one day enter into contemplative union with God. I'm clinical psychologist Peter milanowski and I am your host. This podcast is part of Souls and Hearts, our online outreach at soulsandhearts.com, which is all about shoring up our natural foundation for the Catholic spiritual life, all about overcoming psychological obstacles to being loved and to loving God and our neighbor. This is episode 55. It's released on February 15th, 2021. It's the seventh episode in our series on sexuality, and it is the first one on pornography. It's titled, Why Catholics Use Pornography. Well, I am so excited to bring to the first time on this podcast, Interior Integration for Catholics, Dr. Jerry Crete. Now, Dr. Jerry is a dear friend of mine. He is the co-founder of Souls and Hearts, which is the umbrella organization for this podcast and for the resilient Catholics community. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist. In Atlanta, Georgia, he is the former president of the Catholic Psychotherapy Association. We could go on and on with the with the awards and the accolades for Dr. Jerry. Many of you already know him because he is the host of Be with the Word, and he's also he also leads us in Hear the Word. These are podcasts from Souls and Hearts. There's so many things that I could talk about with Dr. Jerry. I am so excited that you volunteered. And right. he got on the boards at Resilient Catholics. He volunteered to like be with us today on pornography, on this whole question of pornography. So welcome, Dr. Jerry. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it is great to have you here. And, and this is one of the areas in which you've specialized, right? I mean, you have actually spent a lot of your career working in this area.
1: Yeah, I have worked with pornography and sexual addictions pretty much for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And I've even run groups on those topics. of so working with men, especially men, dealing with pornography addictions and other sexual compulsive behaviors. Great.
0: So you're going you're gonna to help us really understand this. Now, you you know that we've been doing a series on masturbation. We just kind of wrapped that up. And there's some connections there, obviously. There's some things that, that are similar between, between the two. But let's just kind of start with what people generally think of when they want to combat the use of pornography in their lives? What kinds of things come to mind for people that maybe get out their internet, you know, look at it, practical steps, that kind of stuff. Right. Well,
1: a lot of people rightly turn to different kinds of device management software, whether that is to block pornography or whether it's to, you know, screens it out or even has an accountability system like covenant eyes, where you, have a partner who receives your report and you have to like touch base with that person. So those are ways in which you can manage your devices. People have things on their televisions, right? And different things to basically filter out inappropriate sexual content that would be either triggering itself that might lead to, you know, pornography use or masturbation, or that would would at least just be disturbing for a person who is trying to really work on their own chastity, work on their own sexual health. Mm-hmm. So, so there are a lot of things out there that one can do to manage it. And there are apps, there's support type apps like Strive or Our Tribe, or there's just different ones that are out there to provide some kind of device management or accountability. And some people do it very organically. Some people have just a buddy, right? That they talk to and they meet up with like an accountability partner. Right. Or for some people they're married, right? It might be their spouse, but I typically veer away from that and, or try to encourage people to find if it's a man, other men to Uh, hold them accountable. People turn to different support groups as well and different ways to get tangible systemic support to, to make a change.
0: Right. But this is sounding pretty external to me right now though right especially when you're talking about the apps and so forth you're talking about accountability okay so i'm 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 accountable to somebody outside of me the support group again you know that's a system that's outside of me so you know i'm I'm a depth psychologist i'm i'm all focused on intrapsychic stuff so so tell me a little bit about like how what you what you would think of in terms of like inner work when right. you're, because I'm assuming that you know, as wonderful as Covenant Eyes is, I've heard great things about it. I know you've you've recommended it in the past, uh, and as wonderful as some of these other resources are, they're not. That's not gonna. Is that well? Let me ask. Is that going to be the answer? I have a skeptical part of me that says I don't know. You know,
1: right. I mean, I, I'm with you. I see that there needs to be a two pronged approach. Okay, I think that there is some just behavior management that needs to happen especially when it comes to an addiction so in other words if you're like an alcoholic you simply can't have alcohol in your house you simply should not go into a bar you simply have to have a plan in place for certain social occasions especially at the beginning when you're at the you're just starting out in in recovery so it would be the same thing with pornography whether it's full-blown addiction or whether it's just a problem, you know, recurring problem. But nevertheless, having some behavior modification, environmental changes in place, like maybe it's things like, hey, we have a rule where we leave the phone. All of our phones are in the kitchens at 8 p.m. and onwards or something like that. And everyone in the family does it. So there's, there's those kinds of things. But what you're getting at is, is the second problem. And that is really getting at the root, where does this problem come from? You know, where did it start? What's going on? How did this behavior, how was this behavior at one time an answer to something profoundly important to the person? And when you get at that and you, you're starting to do the inner work, right? You're starting to explore what, where those needs come from, why they're there, and and so on. Sometimes you can't get there or aren't willing to do that kind of inner work, either, say, with therapy, before you've done, maybe you've gone to a support group or, you know, where you start to realize, oh, hey, other people struggle with this. I'm not alone. <laughs> or whatever. Things that will help combat the initial shame that might prevent a person from going deeper, even in, even if they're at a point where they're in therapy. So,
0: um Right. so so you're saying that the pornography is not the only problem. that's that there's something deeper going on here.
1: Absolutely. And I think that corresponds really well with everything that you've been going over in the masturbation sections is sometimes what we think of as the problem isn't really the pr- the problem per se. One way that I would look at this is to say, it's a particular combination or a cocktail of things that are coming together at the same time. And one of those is simply the material itself. So the material itself is working on the brain in a very specific way. In other words, our brains, let's just say I'm gonna focus on men for this, although women also struggle with pornography and pornography addictions at times, and it's a little bit different and similar. But if we just if I just look at men, our brains are hardwired to notice another person, like a female who's attractive. There's certain things that are just hardwired in, in visually, and so there is a, a biological response if a, if if one views certain pornographic material. So so there's something there that's just biological, but that alone doesn't usually result in an addiction by itself, right? Uh, what what comes at it that's really important that's added to it is the fact that the response or the stimulus, whatever one receives, is meeting some kind of unmet need. So in other words, if I have an unmet need that is related to, say, attachment, right, uh, I have some kind of attachment injury, maybe it's, you know, um, in childhood, it could easily be and often it's some kind of childhood injury or loss or neglect or trauma, what have you, but, it, but there's an unmet need. So if my unmet need is to be seen, right. Okay. And if that's my unmet need, then I am going to look for something and I'm not necessarily even conscious, right. That I'm even doing this, but I'm going to be looking for something that helps me feel seen. And so if that is a, I don't know, like a chat room or something where all of a sudden I feel like, somebody is noticing me and seeing me and interested in me and, and, and wants more of me somehow, even if it's an illusion, right? If it's a video of somebody saying how much they, they want to be with you sexually or whatever, that, that combined with the biological natural piece Creates a little cocktail that says, "Whoa, I got a physical hit, but I also have a deeper emotional hit." That says, "Man, my need is met here, even though it's an illusion." There's a dopamine release; the brain responds in its own way, and it basically the brain remembers now when I do that behavior, I physically feel good, and I get that need met. That's a powerful drug. That's a
0: powerful, and, drug. and that's a lot more than lust. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that that, this is much more than the vice of lust.
1: Yeah, I would love, I find the lust is an interesting word and could even spend time on that word (laughs) Um, because I honestly, I'm going to use an example here Um, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, like David, right? When he was lusting after uh, Bathsheba, right? He was lusting after her. She was married to, I think it was Uriah. Uriah, yeah. yeah. And so he wanted her, okay? And he even did an action to put Uriah in danger to get killed so that he could have her. right? So I think that's really different than simply seeing, say, a beautiful woman and having a sexual response. And I think sometimes people mistake those. Because I don't call it lust that you had a response. I think that's right. human. Whereas, and, and 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 maybe we've got to manage that a little bit, right? And put <laughs> yeah. you know, yourself in the position where you're um, having that response constantly. But you can't avoid it, especially in our world. But the difference is if you're David and you lust after her, then you're, there's an obsessive thinking. I have to have her. Why? We don't, I don't know that we know what his unmet needs fully were. There would be an interesting thing to explore and look at, but that he was willing to take actions to lust, to, to have her, to possess her. Right? He was willing to take actions to possess her, to meet his own unmet needs. Right? And that is lust. And so to, to differentiate, so if a person is looking at pornography or behaving and acting out in some sexual way, then there's it's taking actions to possess something to meet one's need, right? It's not just, oh, I noticed that you know jogger walking by. That alone isn't, in my mind anyway, quite the same as what we're talking about here.
0: Right. So there's a distinction in philosophy between uh, the first moral act or the first act and the second act. And the first act is that sort of spontaneous, you know, it's not bidden by the will, it's not under the control of the will and the intellect the moral comes in the moral aspects come in in the second in the second act right where where you take some kind of action or there's some kind of omission right so you know the the experience like you're talking about of the stuff that's hardwired we see a beautiful woman you know there's an immediate response it's what we do with that that sure. would that would make the difference morally
1: i love that i think it would be worth exploring that some more because i wonder if there isn't a few other steps in between that are somewhat unconscious,
0: right? Oh yeah, I mean a lot of this is unconscious. A lot of this is unconscious, and I think it's great that you use the example of King David and Bathsheba, because I got into that in episode forty-two and a lot of detail. I I actually argue that a lot of it had to do with his shame. Now that's speculative, right? I don't, I you know, King David didn't come to my office, you know, and we didn't explore <laughs> this together or anything, but but yeah, I mean, I I think that's I think that's really important because people come in all the time. And they need like formation of conscience around these things because they feel terrible. They feel really guilty. Parts of them are really reacting to the idea that they even have an image pop up or a memory pop up or things like that. And there can be a lot of shaming, a lot of guilt around these things that are not actually sinful.
1: Right. So let me say this too, when a person sees another person and it's more about lust more about i have to possess that person even if it's a casual thing there's a difference between that biological response i was talking about and i have to have that and i have to have that which feels kind of almost like an instinct is a dead giveaway for an unmet need right right and so that is usually like we were saying is unconscious it's just kind of happening and then if it's like Oh, I don't know. I'm attracted to older women, and my unmet need had some unmet need had something to do with my mother or what have you. Well, the person might, before anything else, as this thought comes to their mind, be pretty quick to, I'm bad, right? That was disgusting, right. or why did you know the shame? And they right. go so fast to the shame around it that they never stop to spend any time with the unconscious reactions and unmet needs and so a lot of interior work that i'm focused on is about in a non-judgmental way in an accepting way to be able to discover what's really going on and maybe that meeting that unmet need in a healthy way and getting a little bit of personal distance in a sense from as you might so you might know where I'm going with parts work, getting some distance from that part that wants that need met, but doesn't know how to do it in a healthy way.
0: Right? Right. So we're, we're not denying the need, the need in itself isn't bad, Correct. right? The need is, and it's actually good that we've got a clue or a cue to let us know what that need is so that that need could be met, right? Cause that needs legitimate the need for, the love of a mother or the need for security or the need to be seen and known or whatever the need is. Mm -hmm. That's something that's really important for us to, to, to not to, yeah. Cause I think a lot of times people try to just deny the need, right? Just try to get rid of the need. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And here's the thing. One of the first things that needs to happen, let's say the guy is, it's a guy and he's married, right? Has a family, but has a problem with pornography, okay? So let's say that's the situation. One of the first things that he needs to do, though, in order to recover is to recognize that pornography has had a negative effect on his life, right? So he needs to be able to recognize, hey, this is taking my time and energy even away from my wife, away from my family duties, maybe even my career, depending how much time I'm spending on it. I'm not actually my downtime. I'm not actually getting refreshed. Instead, I'm mired with this behavior. Um, My spiritual life is affected. There's all these things that the person needs to recognize. However, that itself might feel intolerable and induce a shame in the person. Right? Oh my gosh! Look at that! I've been wasting my life. I've been—I'm horrible. uh, My—I'm a terrible person, and I'm a terrible husband, and all these things will could easily kick in. And yet, if you don't take stock in that, there isn't—it becomes a difficult thing to actually take action to to commit to a change. So there's at the very beginning, there's a really difficult loop there that needs to be overcome. Right, right. Um, Sometimes, and that's why support groups are actually important, because you can stay locked in that little cycle in your own head. And that can prevent you from taking any kind of action. And if you go to a support group, whether it's a uh, Sexaholics Anonymous or some other type of support group with other people that are also, or you have friends, whatever you do, you realize, hey, I'm not alone in this. Right. And that I have to do two things kind of at once, which are really hard. I have to own it and own the negative impact. But I also have to be gentle, kind and understanding to myself. And as we would put it uh, here to our parts. Right. And, Right. and, And that's a hard thing to do at once. And I feel like a therapist can help somebody possibly do that, right? And to be able to to regulate the shame, help regulate and overcome the shame response while at the same time show love and kindness and compassion and help help the person learn how to give that to themselves. Right.
0: Right. 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 Now what what really makes that hard though? Let's let's get into the the, the nitty gritty of this. You said it's hard. I've got some ideas, obviously, but what makes it hard to do those two things simultaneously? Right. On the one hand, acknowledge the impact, the negative impact of pornography, and on the other hand, uh, be kind and gentle to oneself. Right? right. Why is it so difficult to do those two things at once, do you think?
1: Well, I right. I would see that as and I think you would too, right? As competing parts. Right. Yeah that there's a part and maybe a religious part or maybe it's just a moralizing part of some kind. Let's just say for the purpose of, you know, our audience, many of whom are Catholic, that it might be a very good Catholic religious part that cannot tolerate the existence of this problem, cannot tolerate the part that is acting out with pornography. right? Right. And so that part puts up a lot of resistance So, and maybe even that resistance causes um, various parts to kind of shrink and just be overwhelmed and burdened with shame.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I can, I have seen parts where, you know, maybe shaming worked in the short run to ward off some, some of this behavior. Maybe it was seen at one point as adaptive, you right. know, to shame, to try to inhibit the behavior, right. Cause shame has an inhibiting effect, but in the long run, shame, 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 all that shame piles up and it, it, it becomes a burden of its own that becomes unbearable and you get, you know, pushback in the, in the person's system. Other parts are like coming up and reacting against that. So.
1: Yeah. So in a way, those protectors need to get addressed. They need to be understood, you know, in in, in internal family systems. Right. They need to whatever their burdens might be, might need to be right. relieved. All of that needs to happen or for any opportunity to actually approach. The, the part that is struggling, right, to be to, to, to actually get an insight into why to ever be able to access and figure out what those unmet needs are. Because when I look at guys, for example, um, who are looking at pornography, I'm interested to know about their fantasy life. I'm interested to know why that, right? Because there's so many options out there. If you go looking (laughs) and Googling, right? But but out of a million, uh, 10 million options, they picked that one. And that one reveals what their unmet need is, right? It's yeah. that old, you know, uh, every man who enters a brothel is seeking the face of God. Every man that looks at pornography is looking to have an unmet need met. And so yeah. if it's the dynamic is about being seen, is one thing. Is it about a lot being allowed in to see? Right. It some kind of, I feel like I have no power or agency in my own life, but in that fantasy I'm powerful and strong and people want me, you know? So it's, it's really important to get at what that is. And if you're doing also, if there's trauma, right. And right always right. There might be small T or large T kinds of traumas, but if there's certainly if there's trauma, then that gets revealed in the process of exploring. But there may be parts, like we were saying, protective parts, who don't want that trauma revealed.
0: Right. So there's a part. So what you're saying is that there's a part that looks at, at the pornography as the answer. Yes. Right. When that when that part takes over, when it blends, when it's now driving the bus, right, yeah. when it is when it is in charge that part's going to have these impulses to look at pornography because it, it believes that it actually that's going to meet the need. It's trying to survive. It's trying to become whole, but it's using means that are just, yeah um, that are really morally problematic and destructive in a lot of ways. And then there's other parts that are fighting that part, right. right. That are, that are in, that are polarized with that part yes. that are battling.
1: Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the thing about it that I was saying at the beginning was there's a, there's a physical response as well as an emotional response. And those are the most powerful because your body feels, whoa, an arousal, right? Right. Physical arousal. And then the emotional piece says you're wanted or some other other thing. And guess what we do, right? if we're trying to fight this or we don't want to be doing this behavior, we intellectualize the problem. So we spend a lot of time figuring out this or that or analyzing it. And that's the part of the brain that isn't as engaged in any of it. Right. It's sort of offline. It actually kind of goes offline after a certain point. Yeah. And some of those thoughts, once we figure it out, induce shame. Why? Like I know all this truth and yet I still do this. What the right. heck is wrong with me? What's wrong? I'm not a good Catholic man, or I'm not a good person, I'm not a good husband. It leads us back into that whole shame thing. So we've got to be able to, whether that's a rational part or just, we've got to be able to stay in the body and in the emotional center. Primary, those have to be
0: attended to, right? You know, so you're like, not gonna, you're not just gonna study your way out of this. You're not just going to conceptually, intellectually, rationally overcome this. Is what I'm hearing you say.
1: Exactly, and yet yeah. we, you know, and, and a lot of guys like we, that's what we want to do. <laughs> that's what we're, comfortable. we're not comfortable with our emotions. We're not comfortable <laughs> even recognizing what's going on in our bodies. Right? We don't even notice that stuff. So it's a it's a big learning curve. It's a, it's a it's hard work to recover from uh, an addiction or a problem behavior. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do think if you can get to a place where you can take responsibility and say, yes, this has, uh, has had a negative effect in my relationships, my family, my job, my relationship with God, all of that. So I get to a place where it's like, I can't tolerate that anymore. It's just not, this is not working. But I can come and approach that, and while still having responsibility for it, approach it and say, "I need to uh, understand. I need to be gentle and compassionate and curious <laughs> about, about <it. laughs> the self, right? And uh, about this problem. or the parts of me that are that are, that feel that I have to do this, right? right. That right. that are that are held to it." because they are, are, are engaged with or tied to the symptom. So the, whatever it is, like watching pornography is the symptom. There's a part of me that believes I have to maintain that. I have to have that in order to survive. In order to have any of my needs met, I have to do that behavior. Now, of course, intellectually, we know, hey, that can't be right. But that part believes it at a core level. And that's probably because that part is actually young. Mm -hmm. Not a mature adult with full rational mental capacities. It's a young part. It's a kid. It's like a kid who just you know um, discovered his father's playboys or it's a kid who is a homeschooler and he's in his basement and he discovers the internet and he sees something and he's aroused by it. And now he doesn't know what to do with that. Right. He doesn't know. He doesn't really even understand his own unmet needs. Right. Right. So, so he's at a loss. He needs something different. And so when we meet that, we meet that kid within ourselves and we meet him with compassion and we want to understand him right so at this point the shaming and everything else is over to the side right or the parts of us that want to shame him or have trouble they're they're relaxed or they're at least willing to allow this process to happen then then this kid we have the opportunity to really meet him and when we do he's he's almost certainly most any times I've worked with this is almost certainly he is lovable. Oh yeah. 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 We see him with whole new eyes and it's like, it becomes really clear. All those unmet needs, buddy, you just needed someone to hold you. Or you just needed somebody to tell you you're good, and but here, but but here's some help with this, or right. you know he needs something. But when we see a twelve year old, if it was somebody else's twelve year old, if it was their own kid, we would know exactly what to do, right? But right. we don't do, for some reason because we're protective because of all this. We don't easily do it for ourselves, <laughs> right? Right?
0: Right? So a lot of this is not even about sex. A lot of this can go back to like way before puberty, way before, you know, we were sexually uh, developed and so forth. But when we hit puberty or, or, or the pornography got involved in some way and all that hard wearing, especially, you know, like it got sexualized. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we're actually, we're actually thinking that a lot of times, and this has been my experience as a clinician too, you take it back and it's like early stuff, you know, that isn't particularly sexual necessarily right if it's an emotional neglect or a need for mom's attention or things like that that we're finding it may not be sex- it may be sexualized right if there's sexual abuse that that obviously can you know can start at much 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 earlier yeah
1: yeah I this is such a great topic um I think it's interesting I once many years ago we'll go back to the 90s was a I taught English was <laughs> interesting. In literature, is that whenever there's a scene that actually has fairly overt sex, it's not about sex, Mm -hmm. and there are other scenes that don't have any sex. It's all about sex, right? (laughs) We learn like it's not what it seems, but but what that says to me is that our issues, our needs, our dynamics, whatever it is, is played out within a sexual context right and, it, and if it's a traumatic reenactment so in other words if you're if the if you were say sexually abused and then you do behavior that is sexual it it may mimic the abuse experience which makes no sense to the survivor most of the time like they don't know what why am i doing the same things or why am i looking at pornography where somebody's being debased or, or or demeaned in some way why would i even do that like why am i attracted to that doesn't even make sense well the problem is, um, it, it they don't really want that. Well, that's not the problem. That's the reality. They don't want that, right? But why then are they continually going to that? Is that it is the brain in some way wanting to resolve that problem, right? With, say it was abuse. They want a different ending, or they want to gain right. some kind of control that they didn't have, or something is being played out that's unresolved and. Almost invariably, when you actually do the trauma work, the early childhood trauma work, the
0: sexual compulsion resolves itself. All right. So you're saying, and this is what we talked about in the masturbation series if you get to the causes, the symptoms will resolve, right? Like if you get to the causes, you can expect the symptoms to resolve.
1: And that's. I I believe that strongly. Now, I think that needs to be coupled with what we were talking about at the beginning with some environmental and behavioral. Right. Right. Because some things do become habit. Right. Some things are easy to fall back into. Um just because we can we've conditioned ourselves. Right. 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 But so but that's why you need both. Right. Right. Because if you neglect if you if you neglect this stuff we're talking about, the inner work, then you might be a really strong willed person and be able to put all the behavior modifications in place and actually get success for a period of time. And then bang, some kind of emotional crack happens, some difficulty, and boom, everything falls apart, and you're right back to where you were, and you're like, why? Right? right. Conversely, you can do a lot of inner work, and, 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 and I do believe a lot of that will resolve, but if your environment is not safe, then you're putting yourself at risk of undoing some of
0: that progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're talking about a holistic approach and we're talking about that interior integration, right? Which is what this podcast is all about. It's about bringing these parts together. It's about understanding the self and ultimately it's about loving the self in an ordered way, right? And that's what you're really talking about when we're talking about this kindness, this gentleness, this understanding, right? This, you know, space to, to, to be able to connect with our parts and not just to judge or not just to condemn or not just to, you know, um, otherwise uh, kind of go back to the old patterns that actually didn't solve it for us, right? right? Otherwise we wouldn't be in the place that we're at. So,
1: yeah. And so one of the first hurdles is loving the part of ourselves that is doing the problem behavior, so if it's pornography, it's about loving the part of myself that is looking at pornography, which seems counterintuitive. And there might be a religious part that's going, what? How, how do you love <laughs> that guy? That's He just needs to get on his knees and go to confession. And, and he does perhaps need that. But he needs more than
0: that. He needs to be loved first right. and understood. Um, when I think about the way our Lord handled situations where there was sexual sin right the woman caught in the act of adultery right Mm -hmm. neither do i condemn you so he didn't condemn the woman and he said go and sin no more right so there's that that balance but the woman at the well right with five husbands gentleness chose her to be the messenger to the whole to the whole town to the whole community right so there's this incredible gentleness from mm-hmm. our Lord, when it comes to these when it comes to these sexual these sexual sins, right, these sexual issues
1: yeah yeah he's he's very compassionate right and and to the woman being stoned, he actually calls everyone else to conscience, right in order to um uh you know show her love, but it is sometimes that intuitive action on Christ's part that calls the person to conscience as well right that motivates a change so again whether it's the woman at the well the woman being stoned or whatnot they are having to take responsibility for their actions while also receiving compassion and kindness and that has to have both of those have to happen right 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 because you can't have somebody just be compassionate but not take responsibility for its effects Right. right and you can't only be focused on consequences and never have compassion so I think it's a two pronged thing in order to get closer and to find out what it is, right? What I have found over and over again that is that is the unmet need is usually based in attachment injuries.
0: So when you say attachment, let's just let's just kinda let's kind of unpack that a little bit because not everybody may be familiar with that. So Okay, right, right. So really if you go back all
1: the way to babyhood, right, when you're a baby you have uh, a nonverbal attachment to your caregiver, typically the mother. Like right? a bond. Yeah, a bond. And okay. it's, 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 we talk about the maternal gaze. Mm-hmm. So the idea that the baby is looking intently at the mother into her eyes and the mother into the baby. There's this, there's this nonverbal, beautiful and powerful being seen right? Being seen and then seeing into the other. So there's a mutual, powerful intimacy that happens early, early on. And so if that's interrupted early on, it causes a lot of damage. There's a lot of damage if that's simply interrupted. And so we see it creates insecurities in individuals. Um, But for a lot of us, that might not be the case that it happens in in young infancy it might happen a little bit later in life where you feel generally safe and secure but then something happens that disrupts that it could be something it could be something natural like a, a move or like something that happens in the environment like a, a, a war or a loss of income or a parent that becomes depressed or or hurt in some way, or, or a loss, somebody dies. It could be all these kinds of things in the environment. It could be very relational. It could be a parent who snaps, who's angry, or who, you know, in some way um, causes the child to feel unsafe. And then all of a sudden, the child has a sense that my world isn't what I thought it was. I'm not very secure. What do I have to do? And so the doing becomes some kind of safety mechanism, some kind of adaptation. And so that, that child learns, I have to hide, I have to withdraw, or, <laughs> you know what I mean, I have to get louder and, and, and be seen in order to, you know, whatever that adaptation is, it, if it's based out of an insecurity, right, then it's, an attach, it, it's a result of an attachment injury of some kind, but yeah. it, it's a pattern of behavior for the future.
0: And it doesn't mean that the parents have to have any malice. I mean, you could have like difficulties with that just because mom's got postpartum depression. Right. Right. For example. Right. Or, you know, dad, I mean, my father, for example, the day after I was born had to ship out for a tour of duty in Vietnam and I didn't see him for six months. Right. So there's a, a kind of loss there. Right. Uh, And then those kinds of things. So it doesn't have to be because the parents were, quote, bad parents or something like that. Right.
1: And in fact, a lot of parents, um, I think most parents are not actually acting out of malice. Most of the time there might be some Um, they're working through their own brokenness and their own their own maladaptations. Right. And as much later on, when we become adults and have children, we realize that right? <laughs> I'll, I'll our own parents. So, yeah, this isn't about blaming mom and dad, really. It's not a very helpful thing to do that. Uh, it's just about, re, re, you know, reflecting on our humanity, our parents' humanity and coming to it with, with a level of understanding. That's our goal is to understand. And so when we understand that some injury has happened, right then part of the therapy becomes, how can I give that part what it needs in a healthy way to have an, perhaps an emotionally corrective experience so that part now can attach in healthier ways. And once that happens, and then we return to the, the part that's acting out, say with pornography, all of a sudden something happens. And the person is able to go,
0: oh, this is what I really need. This is what I really need. This, and that, this is, this is actually, this is a whole, so now we're at that, now we're at that juncture. I'm a, I'm a little mindful of the time here. i uh, we're at that juncture where we start getting into what does therapy look like, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. we're getting into okay. So, what does therapy look like, and and what does recovery look like, right? Because this doesn't just happen in therapy. This happens, you know, in other contexts as well. And I am super excited. So I'm going to ask you, will you come back, dear Dr. Jerry, yeah, and do the do the therapy? All right, excellent, excellent. Now, I I want people to know that you actually have a whole course on this mm-hmm. at Souls and Hearts, right? Yeah. You have the, the Be True course. And right. that is all about the discovery of pornography in a marriage, right? And and what happens then? How do you manage it then? And what, what's amazing about this course to me is that it's for the husband and the wife if they want to do it together. Yes. Or it could be for either of them if the, the partner's not on board. Correct.
1: Yeah, it's ideally suited for a couple, um, and I don't know that there's anything else like it. There's a lot of programs for husbands, let's say, not so much for the wife. There are some, maybe. This one really looks at both. Of course, you could do it on your own if you if you want to. You'll learn a lot, but there's a lot of help with overcoming pornography. But there's also some real marriage a marriage approach. It's a, an approach on how to improve the marriage because what tends to happen in marriages is that we play out the negative insecure attachment cycles with each other Mm -hmm. and then we turn to the pornography or whatnot as a way to to feel some kind of connection or to meet those needs so what really helps for a couple is for them to start being real conscious about how to meet each other's attachment needs in healthy Non-codependent, but healthy, loving, connected, intimate ways that have an, eff- have an effect of reducing the need to act out with pornography or any other negative behavior.
0: Okay. So kind of getting again to those root causes and clearing up the misunderstandings because there's so much misunderstanding in marriages about this stuff. Like there's so many times, for example, I've had women who are clients, wives of men, for example, who have used pornography and they feel terrible about themselves. They take in all kinds of messages that Mm -hmm. they, how they, how they construe that. And this is a way for them to be included in that whole process as well. It's a beautiful thing of both the husband and the Wife can unite around something like that too. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. That's really that's really something. Um, so I am super excited that we're going to be able to do this again. Um, so we will continue with this in our next episode. We're going to get into in that episode what does recovery look like? What does the path look like when somebody is you know getting out of this? And it's more than just not looking at pornography anymore. It's not. It's not just the behavioral aspect of this, but you're going to argue, I'm sure, that there's an emotional aspect to this. There's an attachment aspect to this. There's a relational aspect to this, and and maybe there's a biological aspect to this. Uh, so I'm super excited to, to to get your take on that. I am learning along with the rest of you because, like I said, Dr. Jerry is an expert in this. Been a big focus of his career, and so we will be back with that. To wrap this up, Dr. Jerry, let's do this together. We'll invoke our patroness and our patron, Our Lady, Our Mother, Untire of Knots. Pray for us. St. John the Baptist.
1: Pray for us.